This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is season 14, episode 10, and tonight to discuss a movie that's hard to pin down. Is it a fable? Is it a folktale? Is it a parable? But most importantly, is it horror? Tonight's movie is the film Lamb from the fabulous year of 2021. And because this movie is so hard to pin down, and because it's so wide open for interpretation, I needed two very special guests. So I'm delighted to have with me tonight the fabulous Pastor Fabulous, Ben Fitzgerald Fye, and beard and body product entrepreneur and horror filmmaker, Oso Scruffy. But... Before we do any of that, before we go on one step, before you slap on your snowshoes, hold on a second. Before we go one step further, please, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I have been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But you are going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. <laughs> Before we get started, we have some things to talk about. You might have noticed that the Scream Queens episode release schedule has gotten a bit wonky. For years and years and years, I've been releasing on Fridays, and now it's coming out on Mondays. That was not intentional. Since my last bout of COVID, I have been suffering from that COVID brain fog thing and COVID fatigue. And editing the show, has it's been getting harder and harder. I'm just making a lot of mistakes, and the more I try not to make mistakes, the more mistakes I make. So I need to take things a lot slower if I want to get things right. So for now, episodes will come out on Monday. That's just the way it's going to have to be because that's the only way I can get it done. Okay? Okay. Tonight's movie, Lamb, it's going to be a challenge. First of all, it's in Norwegian. I know a lot of people don't like subtitles. Well, hey. That's just the way we're rolling tonight. I'm sure there's a dubbed version out there somewhere, but it's a challenge. It's also an incredibly slow burn. And in the end, you might say, was this horror at all? Patrick, why did you make us watch? Well, I have my reasons. I think there's a lot of fabulous discussion to be had around this little movie. But Lamb is a movie that doesn't wear its intentions on its sleeve. It doesn't tell you what it's doing. It, like There's very little music to tell you how to feel. There's long batches of silence. There's not really a lot of dialogue. So you have to fill in the blanks yourself. And that leaves everything open to interpretation. And the more I read about the movie, the more I discover how wide people's interpretations of this film can be. And I think that's really exciting. And I want you to be able to make your own interpretations without having your brain tainted by my opinions of the film, by my interpretation of the film, rather. Because to be upfront, the movie's not scary, but every single frame of it is weird and creepy. I'd rather you discover all these wonderful things about the movie for yourself. But in order to discuss the movie properly with Ben and Oso, we're going to have to spoil the heck out of it. So I would really prefer if you watch the movie beforehand. It will be a lot easier for you to watch the movie beforehand. It's going to be a lot more difficult for us to convey the story to you not having seen it because I can't use audio clips because the movie's in Norwegian. It's not going to help most of you out there. And plus, it's a really fabulous film. If you're one of those people who hate A24 films, you're going to hate this movie. 
If you know that going in, just skip it, okay? I don't want to hear the crying. But if you're up for an adventure, if you're up for a challenge, please check out Lamb. It's available streaming on Prime right now. So go do that before we start because I'm about to bring on Pastor Fabulous and Oso Scruffy right after I play this trailer for the film Lamb. Up, up. beautiful beautiful screamers it is february it is winter not only is it winter it is the dead of winter we are in the thick of it we are in the darkest wettest coldest part of it where it seems like the end is never ever in sight it is miserable and I want to give you a break from all that. I want to give you a break from all that by talking about a movie, a most unusual movie, a movie with the power to make us forget the cold and the dark and the wet and the miserable by taking us someplace even colder, darker, wetter, and yes, even more miserable. So to talk about this most unusual film, I decided to bring on this pairing that has been such a hit the past few times I've been on. Together, the three of us, we have battled. Vengeance demons, we have survived attacks from sex-crazed succubi. And now we're going up against the most horrifying monster of all, sheep. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, at my GNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to the Scream Queen's microphone, also Scruffy and Pastor Ben Fitzgerald Fine. Hello, Patrick. Hello, and thank you for having us. You make us sound so, like, warrior-like. But you are. But you are, Blanche. You are. We've got, we face some scary things. And this, this <laughs> is a whole, this is a movie that's scary and so right. And, of course, the movie that we're talking about is the 2019 Swedish, Icelandic, Icelandic. Polish, well it's, well, it's all three, Swedish, Icelandic, Polish production. It's not quite a horror film. It's a fable. It's a fairy tale. It's a warning. It's the movie Lamb. Okay, Ben, you've been here more recently. Oh, so I need you to give me a nice, tight 30-second plot summary. Tell me what's going on in the movie Lamb from 2019. Couple living in the middle of a very vast and beautiful landscape. Uh, sheep farmers, right? Um, the time for the lambs to be born is upon them, and this very strange thing happens where you know one of the sheep gives birth to a lamb human lamb head human body uh and they raise her as their own well that sounds adorable and nothing bad happens to anybody <laughs> not at all <laughs> pastor ben is there anything you want to add to that no i the, the plot is actually very simple 
Yes, exactly. Uh, one of the things I like about the movie is that the plot is so simple. And also there's so little dialogue in the movie and there's no music, almost no music. They're not helping us at all with the story. They're not telling us how to feel about anything. No, except that I will say this is this movie made me feel cold from the beginning. I mean, no. And I, I mean, I had a physical reaction to the scenery like it is vast and it is cold. And, you know, it, I just felt cold and damp like the whole time I was watching this movie. <laughs> the sexiest so my, of feelings. <laughs> right. My husband and I are, are gearing up to move to Chicago. So it's sort of prepping me for that move. I saw this in the movie theater and it was gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film to see on the big screen. But like 10 minutes of the movie, I'm like, you know what? Based on the location and based on the weather, there was no chance of the husband taking his shirt off. So it was already like minus one star <laughs> right at the top. And I was right. Minus one star. Aww. But what, what I was going to say Sorry. was it leaves so much open to our own personal interpretation that I've now discovered everybody has a radical, radical different idea of what goes on in this movie, which is why I wanted the two of you here. Because I, I have my own version. I said, you know what? I bet there's a religious aspect to this that, or a spiritual aspect that I'm not seeing. And that's why Pastor Ben is here. And I'm thinking Ben uh, Oso is going to have his own take on it, too. So I want to see where it all goes. I've been reading reviews of it and I'm going, is that what you got out of it? Really? <laughs> Me too. Is that what you saw? I completely really? avoided any reviews or anything. One of the things I was trying to find out was that whether or not this was based on any kind of like Icelandic mythology, which it's not. Mm. And it's very confusing. If you Google, hey, is this based on Icelandic mythology? It will tell you, yes, it is. But apparently, no, they all reference the same article, but only the first half of the sentence is this. It's uh, whoever the screenwriter is. We really wanted to write a script about Icelandic mythology. And then it stops. But if you open up the whole article, like, but then they decided to make up something of their own. So no, <laughs> well, it has a feel like it has a feel of like a fable, right? It has a feel of like a some kind of fairy tale esque. I don't want to call it a fairy tale because I don't think it's that light. But I mean, it has that sort of fable quality, but it's so heavy. I mean, <laughs> once upon a time, there was a man and a woman who were very, very lonely. And one day, yeah, it's got it's got that feel to it. And I think that's why there's so little dialogue, too. Like, because I realized at some point, like, there are major discussions that need to be happening with these characters. Yeah. And I realized at some point, like, oh, it's not that they're not happening. But they're just not letting us see them because they take away from the fairy tale, though, the folk tale. It's not pretty. If we hear, right. if we hear these arguments that they're having, they must they, they must be having. Yeah. And I mean, they kind of hide from us. I mean, like there's a lot of you have to infer a lot, right, about what these two have been through. And it's almost like they're not letting us in on purpose. Right. So like they don't want us to have the backstory. Right. So we're just yeah. stuck in this moment with them. They tell us what we need to know when they decide to. I, I, I described it to people that were watching me the other night. I said the movie plays its cards very close to its chest. It's like, we have all this information, but we're going to deal it out really slowly. And when we want to, not when you want to, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to figure this out. And then it'll be like, oh, the thing like right off the top of the bat, I'm sorry, guys, like if you haven't seen the movie, we are going to have to spoil it. That's just the way it is. But I realized at a certain point, every bit of dialogue is in there because it needs to be there. If it didn't need to be there, it'd be silent. So the, it's 10 minutes before we have any dialogue from a human at all. And it's a conversation about time time travel that doesn't really pay off till act three when you realize, oh yeah oh they're talking about time travel because they've lost a daughter mm -hmm. the, way, the way she responds she's like you know we could also go back in time and he's like yeah we we could do that 
that's what she wants I, to I think that you have skipped over the you know i while i wouldn't necessarily call this a horror film the incredibly creepy opening just the snow and the horses in a blizzard against the the snow and this very real heavy sense of impending doom uh in the beginning of the film and it starts after after the the horses you see the sheep and fine sheep right but then there's the one pregnant sheep that all of them sort of move away from and it's off by itself but you don't know why it's so it's so weird well well i mean you're hearing thudding like you're hearing something big walking through the barn you're seeing the sheep reacting to that so it's not telling us things from the beginning you saw those horses react to something but i was looking very closely uh, at the the reflection in the sheep's eye to see if I could see it in the <laughs> and I couldn't. I was just thinking, like, if you, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a sheep barn. I have, um, and uh, been in in a, when they when they put us right in that barn like that. There is something disconcerting about. I mean, when you're in a barn like that, you feel outnumbered, right? Because there are literally animals everywhere and it's kind of overwhelming and it's kind of weird. And like, you know, there's these weird noises and stuff, but they put us in the barn and then they show the sheep doing this weird stuff, right? Like they're fleeing, right? And trying to hide or they're they're trying to get away from this, uh, this other pregnant sheep, right? And it's such bizarre behavior, um, that it's, you know, right away, like, I, I don't think this is a horror movie. Like, I'm just not going to let it do that. But I mean, I, I think that adds to the psychology of it, right? That sense of sort of unpredictable behavior from creatures that outnumber you. And then that weird, yeah, like you, I was doing the same thing. I was trying to find some glimpse of a shadow or a reflection for the, the presence, right? That, that sort of s- creeps in and out. And on multiple viewings, this is when things really started to resonate. And this is even after I signed Pastor Ben onto the project and I wasn't looking for it. I realized, oh, this first scene, first of all, it's the only time we have actual night in the whole movie because we're in Iceland. So the sun doesn't set for the rest of the movie. So it's already weird. Um, but it's Christmas. I did it's also not remember Christmas. that when I, from when I watched it the first time. But I'm like, this is Christmas dinner. This is so like, it did make me think about the fact that Ben was going to be on this call because that was... For me, that was the only directly like religious connection. But I'm like, this is Christmas lamb. Like, yeah. Christmas lamb. There's something mythological coming in and giving impregnating something for you, giving this God baby to (laughs) something of another species, some earthbound creature. And yeah, it, it starts there and it just keeps going. It's it's throughout the movie in 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 its own right until it, the gates itself. It's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's all this stuff. <laughs> it's not that. And we'll get into that. Yeah, I do. I do have a theological theory, but it's probably I would have to. I would have to cover three acts to do it. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I, I have my whole game plan too. But this is not the time for me to go into my whole thing. Of what's what happened here? Why, why the religious stuff is fine. I will and, just say this. I think that the attempts to make comparisons to Christmas in the sense of Jesus being born and all that stuff was ham handed and poorly done. Um, so I, and I don't think ultimately that that is the symbolism. Um, it's not, it's not, right, I mean, which it, I'll get it, into, you know, whenever, but 
Um, so I, I, cause I, I thought the same thing, right. I, I say, okay, it's Christmas. There's this weird pregnant creature. Um, there's this sort of supernatural entity, you know, that's, that's creeping around. Um, this is clearly going to be some Jesus allegory, right? Um, it's not, um, it has nothing to do with the story of Jesus period. Um, uh, but it does have biblical illusions that I think are important. The story tries to force all these biblical illusions and tries to force the Jesus story until it falls apart on itself. And I think that's also the point. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the things that I was reading missed the point that it falls in on itself at a certain point. You're like, mm. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't until the very last moments where I was like, oh, now I know what they're saying. <laughs> Tell me about our, our main couple here. Ingvar and Maria. They're not very happy. No. Everything about this landscape screams isolation. And in these early scenes, everything about this relationship screams isolation from each other as well. There's two people around and nobody else around for who knows how many miles. And they don't really talk. They talk about the, the weather. They talk about the, the tractor. But you're not seeing any connection. No, it seems like they're always trying to connect, but then giving up. I was going to say, which makes sense when you find out later that they've lost a child, because I'm sure Pastor Ben knows because you do grief counseling, I'm sure, and things like that, that that's one of the most traumatic things that can happen in a marriage. Like they, they often don't survive the marriages. Uh, after my even as uh, you know, even though my she was in her sister when she passed, my parents were never the same after my sister died. It's not right. in the natural order. And they've never treated each other the same way either. So. so this no, and, and these two in the way they interact, right, you can see you can see the shades of grief, right? Even before you know what's going on, right? There's obviously something missing um, that they are in mourning for, right? And we don't get let in on that, of course, until later. But, you know, so there's already you're seeing the deterioration, right, of the relationship, which makes sense because often in these situations, right, what do couples do? They try to f get another baby, right? Like that will save the relationship. Um, which is ultimately what happens here, right? Except for the saving part. Uh, I wrote down that, that the film feels lonely, right? Everything in the film, like there's just a loneliness pervasive through the entire thing. Uh, the husband and wife, it's like they have their separate lives and they're together, but they they have their separate lives, you know? Um, it's like, it, I, I, it feels like they have to be together, not that they want to be together anymore. It, it was clear that, you know, she she was definitely more leaning heavily on the wanting to go back and change things. Yeah, and you know what, you you make an excellent point, because I think if there is one horror aspect to this, it's that I didn't want to be there, right? It was so unpleasant and so lonely and so quiet and so, you know, discombobulating and cold, right, that I felt uncomfortable there right so it did have that mood right and patrick this is something when you when you ask me to do movies right you have you have a tendency to give movies <laughs> where i feel like we're we're being asked to be almost voyeurs right like we're watching people living their lives and it's so uncomfortable because you feel like you shouldn't be doing it right because they're sad and there's weirdness and there's, you know, so you just want to get out. Like, uh, you know, it has that dreamy, slow nightmare More so feeling. this one than anything else that we've done at the same time. Absolutely. You're welcome. 
the thing with this movie for me, the thing that really struck me the first time through when I saw it in the theaters was that I did not know that the director of the film was very unhappy with the American marketing for the film oh. because they made it look like a horror movie. Mm. And he said, it's not a horror movie, but I went in expecting a horror movie. Man. So we ha we have this little lamb creature, this little lamb human creature running around in her adorable outfits. All by the, all of her outfits are adorable. Am I right? 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 Yeah, was, if you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was adorable the entire time. Yes, but I kept waiting the whole movie. I'm like, when does it turn? Yeah, when does when she, she start thirsting for blood? Yeah. When she, and then I oh, hold on, I was afraid of her. For a long time, then I began to be afraid for her because I'm thinking, oh, like when there's another character, uh, the husband's brother shows up mid second act and he's not he's not buying any of this crap. And like, oh, he's going to hurt her and that's going to start everything and it's going to be bad. And the shoe's not dropping. And then I realized, oh, my God, she's the only innocent in the movie. And I've been judging her because she looks different. Right. Yeah. Because she's not like me. I, all of a sudden I had this weight of mor this whole morality test just drop on my head. I'm like, Oh, and you failed, Patrick, you failed. The movie tells you she's a lamb. <laughs> she's an innocent lamb. She's a baby. Why would you think worth these horrible things? We haven't told you that. We haven't told you to think that. What indication do you have that there's anything wrong with this baby, except for the way she looks and what an awful person. See, I, I went into it really cold. Like I, I, because it was an a 24, I knew it was going to be a screwed up movie that that just comes along with every a 24 film I've seen. It's it, there's nothing normal about anything they've ever done. Um, but I didn't expect it to be horror when I went in and I really just kind of let myself get immersed in the film. And, and I definitely identified with her. Like I, I loved her character because again, she was super innocent, you know? I mean, if I'm if I'm being honest, I found her unsettling through most of the movie. Um, and part of it was, you know, I think, of course, there's the element of this is not a natural thing, right? This is this is weird. And so I think there's a part of me that thought like, uh, like, this is, you know, this is not sustainable, right? This this creature is probably going to die or this creature is, you know, can't exist in the world, right? Um, which is I guess if there's an allusion to Jesus, that's kind of one of them, right? Jesus was mm. just too good for us. Um, but um, but I like you, Patrick, I was thinking like, okay, why am I unsettled, right? Is it just because of the appearance? Um, is it just because of weird CGI-ness, you know? I mean, is there something that's making me... Um, and then I realized I it, 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 it was okay to feel that way um, because it's weird, right? It is weird. Um, and, and I realized, I think what made it weirdest for me was the way the parents treated her, right? It was so strange um, and so sort of disconnected, right? <laughs> so, because I was, I was at first thinking, okay, is this really happening? Or is there just a lamb in their house? Right. That, that they're treating like, a they don't show you yeah. right away. You live with it for a little while. No, it's a good 20 minutes before you find out her secret. And she's, she's just a cute little lamb. My, head one of my, the, my first thoughts was how are neither of them more shocked than they are when this happens? Because they didn't let us see that. Because in my mind, there had to have been a heated discussion over what do we do with this lamb human thing? What do we do with it? 
No, we have to keep it. It's a sign from God. It's a gift. No, it's not right. It's not natural. We have to put it down. If we put it down, is it murder because it's half human? Or is it a sign from God that we're supposed to keep to fulfill our one job that we failed as parents to make things right again? Is it a blessing or is it an abomination? That's ugly. That's not part of the, the cute little fairy tale that we're trying to tell you that's going to fall apart halfway through when it turns murderous. A conversation like that would shatter this illusion of Madonna-like placid serenity that the movie is trying to project, or, or rather, I should say that the character of Maria is trying to embody. And besides, she's going to do a good job shattering that illusion herself <laughs> later on. Yeah. My favorite character in the whole thing is Mama Sheep. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I know animals can't act. What a heartbreaking performance, top to bottom. Yeah, no, that was a tragic, upsetting sequence, right? Of the mother trying to reclaim when she's the baby. Following when Oh yeah. Oh my god. I was the mother chase the mother sheep chasing after them after they go and find her out in the fields is heartbreaking. And it's it's actually making me misty now thinking about her. And she's sitting outside the window just pleading for her child you know it, it, oh my god and it's a sheep <laughs> it is mm-hmm. the the inhumanity of the humans in the way that they treated the sheep is very crushing 100 mm-hmm. and this is this is why that what i think all this stuff like the biblical stuff they try to force on us because we've got peter in this we've got maria uh you know biblical names we've got um like we said, all these illusions earlier on and the way she's lit at certain times, the way she, she holds the baby, the way the poster looks like a painting that you would see in a, in a church book. They are trying to force that This is the Madonna and her. And of course, that it's a lamb, uh, you know, which, of course, is synonymous with Jesus. Oh, we, we um, this is this is a Madonna. This is this is a reference to the Holy Family. Um, at a certain point, I'm like, you're not the Madonna. This is not the Holy Family. You're a thief. And a murderer. This is a lie. This is the lie you're telling yourself. Because, yeah, she does kill the mama goat. She can't. They, what I do love, too, there's an, I love Omen's importance. I love Omen's importance. <laughs> there's uh, something that's happening throughout the movie. Like, when I've seen it a few times, uh, the animals know there's something wrong. Like they're, And it's not her. And it's not a Ada. The, the lamb child, they're always, you always seen the, the cats looking out the window. The dog's always crying. The sheep are always disturbed at certain points. They, they're trying to tell you there's something out there and you're in big trouble. And I also think that, that now that I've seen this a few times, when Ada, this, this scene where Ada, they, they all, they go out for, to work at the field and they come out and Ada's not in the house. Right. It suddenly dawned on me like, wait a minute. How did this happen? This last time through when I watched the list, I'm like, wait a minute. This whole movie, this child, the lamb child, has been swallowed. We have not seen it move of its own accord at all. It's always been in someone's arms or it's in the crib or it's completely wrapped up in a blanket so you can't see its arms and legs. Well, And then all of a sudden it's, it's hoofing miles across the field. Now, what happened? And then I realized – Okay, when they finally find her, this this poor little lamb child is is laying in the ground, freezing to death, naked, miles away from this house, and there's nobody else. Ada's real mama, the the mama sheep. She tried to take him to her daddy. Like, it's not just I miss you. It's like you're not supposed to be here. This is the way things are supposed to go. The animals know. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is not the natural order. You got to get him back. You got to get her back to where she belongs. I'm supposed to keep her for this long until I don't know the summer comes. Like, and then she goes back to yeah. daddy. Is that how this supposed to go? I, I don't know. But that that mama goat, mama. I want to keep calling her go. Mama sheep is trying to set things right, and they murder her ass. Yeah, yeah. And it's I, well, no, no. They no, no. I'm sorry. They don't murder her ass. She murders her ass. Right. Yeah, Maria. She does. See, this is where the I think the Marion comparison falls apart. Right. So. Um, I happen to be a bit of an expert on Mary. I study Mary a lot. I've studied her a lot, actually. I have an obsession with Mary, actually. Um, and the the whole premise of Mary, right, is that she willingly set, she willingly gives up her child, right, knowing that she can't keep him, right, like it be, because he has to do these things, right, in order to fulfill God's will. Nobody in this movie wants to give the child up. Right. Um, so there's no like there's no sacrifice. I mean, that's an that's an essential element. Right. Of of sort of of Christ's doctrine. Right. That Christ is sacrificed. The first lambs were sacrificed in the Old Testament. Right. But that that's what they were. They were sacrificial creatures. And, you know, I don't see a lot of sacrifice here. Right? I see a lot of people who want to hang on to stuff. Right. And including their grief. Right. And so, yeah. you know, they're, they're obsessed Right. With sort of making something right. Um, when when the whole biblical story is about giving things away. Right. It's about sort of giving of yourself. Right. And this is just not here. I mean, you, she murders some like she murders a creature. I'm just going to underline it. It's 100 percent murder because she doesn't just say, oh, we slaughtered. I slaughtered this. No, she hides it. Mm -hmm. There's shame to it. Right. She knows what she did. She knows she did a bad thing. Incredibly brutal. No, I mean, my my thought was. I know it's a sheep, but holy fuck, lady, you literally, you just murdered that creature pleading for its baby, you know? And then when she dis disposes of the body, which is what she does, she's dragging it along the ground because it's, it's nothing. It's, it's you a know, sheep, yeah. it's just a sheep. Right. And, and that was one of the other things that I noticed about the film is, is, they're very particular about how they treat animals, right? The dog is never in the house. The dog is only in the mudroom off outside the house. The dog is outside the house or in the barn, right? Um, the only animal that you see in the house is the cat. Mm -hmm. Everything else, everything else stays outside. It's very separate. But Ada is the sort of crossover between house animal and livestock. Yeah. One thing I want to say about the dog. That dog needed a bandana. It yes, really yeah. needed a bandana. That was total bandana dog. It was a bandana dog. <laughs> but yeah, I'm absolutely with you there on past by that. Yeah, that that is where the whole Mary analogy falls apart. But I think that's absolutely deliberate. Like, hey, hey, lady, wake up! You are not her. Yeah, we. I mean, you we are not her. They wanted that. Like, we kind of sympathize with her up to a point, right? And then suddenly this happens, mm. and you're like, you know, if if that if the if the mother sheep had been a human, this would be considered one of the most disturbing scenes in film. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we would all be devastated. Right. But even yeah. even we can detach ourselves from the life of a sheep. Right. And think, oh, you know, but no, it's 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 horrendous. I mean, it is the darkest thing. Right. <laughs> that happens in this whole movie, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's the, it's the un, it's the unforgivable sin that happened in this movie. Yeah. This is the one thing. This was what taking the baby mm. was bad. But what you did here to her was worse. Right. Kidnapping and yeah. murder. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a gift. It's a gift. No, it's not. It's a new beginning. No, it's not. Not for mm -hmm. you. It was not for you. It was never for you. Yeah. 
Uh, the more I watch it, the more I can't stand Maria. I hate her. I, I'm just I, like this, this. This thing that you start to read, like since they're not talking, you get body language. You see start how they mm. treat each other. You see how he acts when she's not around. He's miserable. She treats him awful. He'll try to give her affection. She never returns it. Yeah. Even when when Ada first had the baby, she never lets him hold it. For the first half of the movie, she never lets him hold that baby. She's always got her back turned to him. You are not part of this. You are not part of this. This is just for us. Well, but his his grief wasn't even with her. Like he when when I in towards the beginning, before you realize really what's what's happened or what's going on, he's out on the tractor, and that's when he has his moment of like, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's. Really, I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't feel a ton of sympathy for her throughout the entire film, but no. for him, for Ingvar, he's out on the tractor breaking down because he can't do it at home with her. I also thought too, well, yes, 100%, but I also added to that over time. I'm going, because there's conversations we missed. Like, how did this conversation go that he took, she was able to talk him into this? Hey, this is just a baby lamb that we're going to take care of. This isn't just a little miracle child that's going to save us. This is going to replace the daughter that died. This and we're going to name it the same thing. We're going to act like it's her. I don't think he gets a lot of saying things. Also, this hint that she has taken things from him before, like the drums. Mm. Just because you probably didn't catch us really early on. I only caught this the last time. He's sleeping in the chair, mm. and there's a record just going. She takes the record up and puts it. His pictures on the cover. Right. Yes. Yes. I didn't even catch that. He's listening to his own music. So something's happened that he doesn't do that anymore. He did this. We used to be in the wow. band with his brother, and now he's not. Right. Yeah. And the drums are put away. Yeah. You can't play them anywhere. We don't do that. We do sheep now. We're sheep and we're parents. You can't have drums. We're farmers now. We're not rock stars. Um, and wow. so, um, you know, but there's also, because the, what I was thinking when, when she interacts with the baby, right? One of the things we look for in abusive relationships is that parents take ownership of the children, right? They're my children. It's my daughter. It's my son, right? Not ours. And so mm-hmm. there are elements of her being essentially an abuser, Throughout this movie, right, taking away the things you like, claiming ownership of the child, right, which isn't even yours to begin with, um, you know. So there is a psychosis and an abusiveness about her that 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 I think can get lost in the slow burniness a little bit. But she's bad. I mean, she's a bad. But there's that one. It's that one moment that you talked about just before, where um, I mentioned this omen's importance. She has a nightmare, mm. which she thinks is a nightmare. Of all these monster rams, they're distinctly not sheep. They've got those curly horns, which, by the way, look like fabulous wigs. Right. They made me happy. <laughs> you know, they've got glowing eyes, and she takes it as a, as a as a threat when it's not. It's a warning. Right. I'm like, hey, honey, we're coming for you. Give us our baby back, baby back, baby back. Give us our baby back, baby back, baby. But she misinterprets it and goes goes and murders the mother and says, "Think now, I'm not going to be okay." But she's not. There's also this one shot that I that I've been hung up on. Because it's unlike anything else in the movie, and it's in this first act. Randomly, we see some – I don't know the difference between sheeps and rams and things like that or braids of sheeps and rams. They, they, they focus on this group of sheeps that – sheeps? Sheeps. Sheeps that are distinctly not like anything that's at the barn. Like they've got these long, long, straight – Right, yeah. And wool. they were breathing and weird. And they look – yeah, they're, they're, they're marked on their foreheads, but they're breathing weird. They don't match any of the other sheep that we see. And there's something about that long hair and the way they're marked on their foreheads that makes me think of religious wear in indigenous cultures. I thought of high priest. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. High priest. I'm like, is that, and at the end, well, giving away the movie, I'm like, is that him? Mm. Is this mm. what he looks like? 
mm-hmm. during the spring <laughs> or the winter. Or... Watching them breathe because the one that's the in the forefront, as he breathes out, yeah. his, the the fur on his his neck opens up, and I'm like, something is going like it's really going to open up, and I just kept waiting for it, waiting for it. I thought it might have been somebody wearing a sheep. I mean, because of the, you know, the opening. Right. And then I thought, like, is this some kind of like weird monster sheep that has like a strange blowhole or something? (laughs) Um, But (laughs) is is this the runway on RuPaul's Drag Race? Because that look is also fabulous, by the way. You are fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, High Priest entered my mind instantly. Yes. Yes, and then we never come back to that. So I'm just wondering why that shot's there. And in my mind, in the folklore that I've written up for this thing that doesn't have a folklore, I'm like, that's he can change back and forth. It's like a werewolf kind mm-hmm. of thing. This is what I look like during the day. Mm-hmm. But at night, I become my true self. Which who will meet later. All right, that was act one. Act two is when Uncle Peter shows up. First of all, when, when we first see him, he's getting dumped off in the middle of nowhere by a bunch of people. Like, we don't know what's happening. Clearly some bad shit's happened. He's pissed people off. They've dumped him off in the middle of nowhere and just drive off. And he was in the trunk, was wasn't so- he? And he was in the yes. trunk, yeah. <laughs> There's that. There's that. There's an indication that this is not a normal job. But it was so jarring to see other people. Yeah. After spending so long with just these two. Yeah. But I'm so happy that Peter shows up because he's such a breath of fresh air. It's finally somebody going, what the fuck is going on? What are you doing? The questions that have been on our mind the whole movie, finally somebody gives voice to. It was 54 minutes into the film before someone had a what the fuck reaction. (laughs) Except for the audience, right? We were having it the whole time. Well, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but they want us. That's what they want. This whole dinner scene where where. Peter shows up. Peter is is Ingvar's brother. My other tip off that she's a mess was that her first thing was like, oh, he's here again. Mm. Mm. When was the last time you had a visitor, lady? Yeah. Who comes out here? That's your first reaction. Oh, God forbid somebody has a visitor that's not here for you. Yeah. I know your type. Well, I, but, I would imagine yeah. she's not too thrilled with, you know, invaders of her illusion. Right. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, this whole dinner scene is great where, where Peter gets to meet Adam. <laughs> so uncomfortable. And it's also the first time we're seeing her in clothes and stuff. There's something like, sidebar, we are used to seeing anthropomorphic anthropomorphic animals in cartoons and like storybook illustrations and things like that. And it looks normal. You're used to that. But seeing it live is really messed up. <laughs> the, the disconnect is, is it, you think it would be an easy thing to see, you've seen them all the time. Oh, Winnie the Pooh shirt. No, 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 It's not right. Your brain just goes, boom, the second she walks in, in her little outfit, looking adorable, but that's not the point. But his first reaction isn't, what the fuck? He sits in quiet with it for this whole dinner scene. It's another 10 minutes before he finally gets his brother alone because he knows he can't ask it in front of her because yeah. she, right. <laughs> she, the whole scene i've noticed this last time through maria is staring daggers at him like dare you to say something yeah say something say something about my daughter not our daughter my daughter yeah and it, it's when you start to see it because it was then i think that i started to notice the actual physical deformities right that like one arm is different from the other um yeah, she got one arm one yeah, hoof one hoof one arm and and you know it is one hoof because we're one foot, they, they tease one they, they tease a little bit right and so i don't think it's still the actual bathtub that you see fully right but i mean yeah. you start to see right that there's that, that there, there's an unsettling thing about this right 
and Peter, I mean, not my favorite human either. Um, but no. <laughs> there's not, not he's a also of, a very flawed character. Yeah, very. Yeah. And there's some weird relationship. Well, there's a reason he got dumped out in the middle of nowhere after being taken a ride in a truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't do that to nice characters. So, I mean, when he enters on the scene, I, again, was thinking, oh, here comes the horror, right? This is, these people are going to invade this space. Um, yeah. But, but, but again, you know, it, it's not. I mean, it's he threatens it for a while, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. threatened for a while. It, it it did have its turn, right? So my initial thought is great. He's going to take her, sell her for experiments, and you know, make money because the the whole in the trunk thing and getting dropped off like that, it, it's probably money related, right? Or at least that's my take on it. Um, but. I knew he was just going to take her, disappear, and the rest of the film was going to be chasing him down and trying to find Ada, you know? But he he did have his moment, you know? He had his shot of potentially taking care of the problem, and he chose not to, which I thought was just a... It was such a cool turn from he's aiming a, a rifle at her head to Maria freaking out, where is the baby? And finding her, her basically curled up on Peter's chest asleep. Like it, it just like that was, I did not expect that. And I was impressed with them taking that direction instead of what I was thinking. Well, and I think that that, that scene too, like one of the things that struck me is how well they were able to convey emotion through the lamb's face. And, you know, cause as she's standing there, when this is happening, she doesn't back down, right? She doesn't run away. Um, there is this really intense kind of like, you know, like she's staring him down. Um, oh, yeah. Funny. I didn't get that at all. I was like, this is a baby looking at somebody with a gun, not really understanding what's about to happen. Oh, it could be that too. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Uncle Peter, he's not going to hurt me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very trusting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baby. I don't know what death is. <laughs> So that is one place that I do have a little bit of an issue with the film, right? She goes from birth to walking to reasonably in control of her own limbs very quickly. But then the rest of the film, it doesn't go, it doesn't advance beyond that point. So I, it, it just, from a timeline perspective, it bugged me a little bit how quick it was in the beginning and then how it didn't move through the rest of the film. We also don't know what the timeline is. It's not time enough for like the seasons to change. It's one season. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and we've seen, we see two, we see two live births during the movie. We know that these lambs come out and they're, they're walking pretty quick. quick. So well, she's right. taking after, she's taking after her people. Look, I can walk pretty quickly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's what I was thinking is, you know, she is taking on that aspect of, of maturity in, in, the advancement has to be faster in animals than it does for humans, right? Humans have the caretaker much longer than, than the animals would. It also hit me this time through. I'm like, oh, this is one of the things that also fucked me up was like, ah, they keep putting Ada, the lamb baby, in wool sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I guess you could wear a human hair sweater, right? You could, I mean, you could, but just, just the, just the, the unnaturalness. I'm like, here, this is a lamb that we're going to put in a wool sweater to make her feel more human by dressing her as a lamb. 
because now she's wearing wearing the skins of her ancestors. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> but then I realized, oh, the reasons they have all these adorable outfits is because those outfits belong to dead Ada. Those are your dead daughter's old clothes. Mm. That is deeply fucked up on so many levels. I did not notice the because it didn't do the translation. Uh, how old? the dead Ada was like, I didn't yeah. see an age. No. Based on the clothes that we see, I'd say toddler two, maybe two. But the thing that struck me was that it said Ada Ingvar's doctor, mm. which means Ingvar's daughter, which I don't know if that's how they name people in, in, in Iceland or what, but it's, it's weird. It's not Ingvar and Maria's doctor. It's mm. Ingvar's. I'm like, so there's a relationship with that. We also don't know how she died. Yeah. Or anything like that, but we don't need to know. It's really not that important. We can infer a lot of things. But um, let me say act two. What do I want to talk about? Act two, because this act two is pretty much all about Peter. The things shift to Peter. Peter is just not having this situation. I was like, no, okay, I can play along with this only so far, but y'all are effed. This is an animal. <laughs> it's an animal. I love the scene. There's two things that happen here that I think are great things, indication of things to come. When he finds the drum set. Uh. That's been hidden. He starts to play it. And Ada just comes in and stares at him. Because I realize as, as Ada starts to self-actualize, as the movie comes on, starts to realize that she's not like everybody else. One of the things is she doesn't really understand music. Yeah. Well, and there's that long scene where she's looking at the picture of sheep. Like it's a, it's a long moment. And like you can tell, right? Just she's, she's kind of identifying that she doesn't, you know, she doesn't look like these people. Um, and she doesn't maybe belong with these people, right? Um, so she's starting to ask those questions too. Almost important as the dog knows, the animal knows, everybody knows. Had they listened to the dog, we might have had a much better ending, but they don't. <laughs> and somehow we haven't touched on it yet, but Maria and Peter have clearly fucked. Yes, absolutely. Like they have mm -hmm. absolutely been together, which did make me question was Ada Peter's daughter or Ingvar's daughter? I know that it said Ingvar, but. That's one of those things you can just play with in your head. What, how, just to, yeah, that's a, one of those inferences. They don't, they don't feed us. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it adds layers. Like I, it works uh, several different ways. I just, but it's just another thing. Ingvar is always in the dark. And actually my, my, one of my inferences was that Ada, the sheep uh, Ada is the same age at which their daughter died, which is why she doesn't progress any further. Mm, that's Yeah. Because then she'd outgrow the clothes and that'd be weird. But we don't have to go shopping. And that's like 5 million miles away. <laughs> you can't just run down to Target <laughs> to get new sheep baby clothes. But. I mean, if you're an animal person, do you have to wear clothes? I mean, like. <laughs> she does. Well, she's got skin. She she can't go. That, that weather, that weather will kill her. She's got, she's got human body. She can't, she doesn't have wool to keep her warm. Except when she's wearing a fabulous sweater <laughs> from, from baby Bjorn. Um. There's that other scene that, that kind of reinforced what we were talking about earlier that Ingvar has to go someplace to have an emotion yeah. is where you see Maria at the grave when we find out, oh, this is what this is all about. Oh, this is Ada too. That him off in the bog somewhere screaming, Ada! But it's unclear. Are you screaming, sir, for your dead daughter? Is this morning? Are you screaming for this replacement daughter that you have? Are you screaming because this whole situation is beyond fucked up and you're not allowed to voice it at home? All of the above? I don't know. And I like that because ambiguity is cool and filling in the blanks yourself is fun. My take on it is that he's not allowed to discuss 
dead Anna because we have new Anna. We treat her just like dead Anna. We dress her just like dead Anna. We love her just like dead Anna. Why do we need to talk about dead Anna? You're not allowed to mourn your own kid now. Ugh. Oh, she's awful. Right. Awful. I love this. I love the whole scene with the with the with the with the football game mm. going into the music video. I love all of this. Well, you do like a musical montage, Patrick. We know that. I do like a musical <laughs> moment. I have to say, the whole thing where we discover that Peter used to be in a band and it was the lead singer of a band, and he's he's doing the video along with the video. I'm like, this is hot. This is oddly hot. I find this very hot. <laughs> See that it is him. It is a very young version of him in this video. Yeah. And I've searched the internet. Nobody seems to know what that video is. <laughs> he used to be in a band, but that's not one of his band songs. Or, or, or who knows? Who knows? It's a mystery that will never be solved. Because it's too hot. It's too sexy. It's way too sexy. But this is another one of the moments. Like they they have this the football game doesn't go well, and the mother's like, oh well, 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 hey, I found this old VHS tape of your old band. Won't this be fun? And it is fun. And everybody's dancing. And they ask, Anna, oh, Anna, honey, come dance with us. Anna doesn't usually respond to things, mm-hmm. but she shakes her head no. Right. This yeah. is one of the only times she has a response. She does not want to dance because she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand music. She doesn't understand dancing. And she doesn't understand football. So this whole afternoon has been very confusing. Yeah. Well, but then after that, you notice that it's it's not Ingvar dancing with Maria. It's Peter. Once he passes out. Yeah, well, he passes out. Still, it's again, it's it's this connection to other people, but not to Peter or Ingvar. But yeah, so they're all dancers, which is when she runs out. Right. Little Ada runs out. And she's standing with the dog, and you see her and the dog seeing something. And you know they're seeing something because they can both smell it. Closest to the nose. The dancing thing, I think, like, you know, I I I actually felt sorry for Ada in that moment because I thought like this is them trying to force you to be like them right they want you to do what they do and they want you to act like they act and she knows she can't right so she Mm -hmm. she escapes right and and sort of runs away from that situation which nobody seems to notice by the way it's all drunk so give back your best mom mug I mean geez yeah but it's that like she starts looking at herself in in the reflection yeah that was that was that was a intense moment and, and it said they said with the painting that she's woken up that i'm not i you know what i'm not like them right yeah if there's anyone i feel sorry for in this whole thing it's her it's her yeah. they took her away from her mommy right that's not okay they made her live a life that's not her they made her they made her a monster i mean she's not a monster but she's she shouldn't be running around wearing clothes she shouldn't be doing this daddy knows what to do her mama wouldn't know what to do you don't know what to do she should be eating spaghetti she should be eating grass right <laughs> Like Peter tried to feed her and, and Engberg got really mad at him. And I, How dare you treat her like what she is? I also get the sense that she likes Ingvar more than Maria. Like she she's more affectionate, I think, with him. She has fun. Like she's enjoying herself with him. Yeah. But they get to ride the tractor and have adventures. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It just looks like mommy wants to just cuddle you all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say, as a filmmaker, to every single other filmmaker out there for in perpetuity, you do not have to kill the fucking dog. <laughs> I am so tired, so tired of not only, you know, the off-screen, yelp, the, uh, that is clearly the dog getting killed, Fine, I accepted that, but then you had to show me the dead dog. I am 
we can be done with that. There is no need for the dog to die in the movie ever again. So don't do it anymore. I would I would disagree in this one. I know I hate I hate when the dog does do, but the dog's main job here is to protect the family. That dog's gonna give me away. You keep barking at me. Go away, dog. And I'm also thinking sheep sheep might have some kind of natural aversion to the dog because that's what they do. I I get that part. I get that part. Like you're my boss and you gotta go. <laughs> part of me part of me wants to obey you, but my human part says no. Well, I mean, I think dogs and sheep, I think they have kind of a weird symbiotic relationship, right? Yeah, Where, 100%, you know, yeah. And so I actually was not expecting the dog would get hurt because I really didn't think the dog was a target. I mean, I know he's kind of protecting things, but I mean, if anything else, I think the dog was mostly just trying to warn people, right, that something bad was happening. I don't I don't remember the dog ever showing aggression, right, in a way that would warrant it. Um, no, it no. was a super submissive, very uh, uh, attentive, kind of protective force that, you know, I mean, I, I get that it would have made things harder if him, if he had let the dog live, but still bothers me. I know. I know. I know. No, I get it. 100% is an animal lover. I'm right there with you. Um, it's normal. Normally, I'm like, that was superfluous, and I get it. I get it. It's, but anyway. It's never a cat. It's never a cat. It's always a dog. Sometimes, sometimes it's a cat. Really when, a cat. When, when is it a cat? It was a cat in The Collector. In The Collector and in that movie with the clown. Um, Shippers? Not Shippers. Stitches. Stitches the clown. I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. That one, see too. It? Yeah. Yeah. That cat, that cat got... <laughs> That wasn't quick. That was a long, horrible, awful death. The cat is always the harbinger of doom. You know, the cats are always the one, like, the jump scare. Cats are too smart. Cats, someone, like, someone comes in the house, the cat's like, fuck this. I'm going to be under the bed. Fuck y'all. The dog's going to be the one kicking up a rocket. Anyway, um, so the last act of this gets a little, gets muddy for me. This whole thing with her and Peter, that we get the hint of the relationship. The one thing that I got that, he tries to get her to have sex with him by saying that, oh, by the way, does your daughter know that you murdered her mother? Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, I, that was my thought. It's like, this is his line that he's using and and it seems to be working. Like what? Well, it gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give him what he wants to keep him quiet. If he starts right. using that terminology, especially around her, eventually around my, if he says that to my daughter, hey, did you know that your mommy's not your real mom? That's a bad conversation to have with her. Because clearly she can understand some English. I'm sorry, Norwegian. And he could infer that, but how does he know? Because she's dead. dead. No, no, he, no. I, I watch this enough times that he well, he sees her drag uh, come back from the house spattered with blood. I don't and, know how I missed that because I my I was thinking as they were having that conversation, like, how does he know that she did that? So he was there for a while before he made his presence known. Yeah, because he was kind of hiding. He was hiding from them a bit. Yeah. Yeah, he gets dumped and he shows up at the house and he's hiding in the barn. In the barn. Yeah, because before Peter makes himself known, he's watching her. There's that scene where she's washing the blood off her face after she's killed the mother and dragged the, and buried the body. He's watching her. She doesn't know it, of course. But then later on, shortly after Peter gets there, he says to her, hey, I was watching you when you were washing up. Maybe we should close the door if you don't want people to see. You think... Like your initial impulse is to say, oh, he's being sleazy. He's hitting on her. But it's also a warning. I know what you did. And that's way earlier in the movie. So, yeah, he saw everything while he was hiding in the barn. 
Okay. Like an animal, like yeah, an animal, well. <laughs> which is where she puts him, where she, where she puts him after the scene. She puts yeah. him out in the barn like an animal, the animal that he is. Yeah. The, thing, the thing that struck me was that this little maneuver that she does, where I'm going to come on to you and then trick you out into the barn and then lock you outside and play the piano so nobody knows you're out there. She did that really easily. You've done this before. <laughs> this is not your first time at this rodeo, Maria. What goes on in your head, young lady? Well, my first thought was, oh, look, she's a concert pianist all of a sudden. Um, so, so she's like playing without, you know, she's not using sheet music, right? She's just playing the piano, like going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I think if anything, like to me, it was like Peter's blackmail of her, which is, you know, kind of what happens, right? Is it's just, pr- these are abusive people, right? Yeah. Who just want what they want and will do anything to keep it. Right. Um, and so, you know, there, which, which really shows the innocence of characters who aren't like that. Right. Um, especially, by the way, the animals, which show more compassion than the humans do. I thought actually she was locking him out in the barn to freeze to death. Yeah, I thought she was going to kill that's him. But that's not what happened. Yeah. And, then she, and then I'm like, oh, she's running away with him? She's dumping Ingvar and leaving Ingvar with the kid. She's running off with the rock star boy. But that's not happening either. She's just driving to the bus station. But while she's gone, what happens? Daddy comes back. Yes. And it was everything that I'd kind of hoped it would be. <laughs> it's only if and even the buildup to it is great. Yeah. The build, I mean, because it, it does come out of nowhere, but Ingvar and, and, and Otta are just walking, walking to go fix the tractor. And he's telling you that wonderful story about how to find your way home. If you ever get lost and you can't find your way home, you walk towards the mountain. The mountain is behind her house. So you'll always find your way home. And if it's dark or if it's, me and you can't see the mountain follow the river the river will lead you home and will always be there waiting for you he delivers this also earnestly and it's such wonderful heartfelt advice that she's never going to need you're home you're actually about to go home and you need to forget yeah. all this information but it's sweet it almost makes me wonder what happened to your first daughter like what happened yeah. did she get lost did she get lost and yeah. freeze to death is that why you're telling her this story or what whatever it was just a nice dad moment then, that's going to be the then, last thing you ever do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, and, and the violence, right. That happens yeah. um, is, is jarring because violence hadn't happened really up to this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, there was no, there was no, you know, sort of antagonist um, except for each other. And then suddenly yeah. it, it's almost like this weird, you know, ex machina moment where suddenly <laughs> boom, well, there's only two deaths it. and there's two deaths in the film. Yeah. Right. And the other one was also very violent and but this was the their revenge, yeah. you know. You took something from me and I'm gonna take it back. I'd say this is setting things right. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's what I mean. And you gotta go because you should you should never talk about her. People mm-hmm. should not know that this kind of thing exists because you, you gotta go. Yeah. And also but you're right, there is punishment there too, because I um what what happens? What happens? Ingvar is shot. Ingvar is shot out of nowhere. I love the shot too. That it's that well, not the shot, but he's shot in the throat, and that's how you're introduced to the scene. You don't see him get shot. Right. You hear the shot off screen, and then it cuts to him holding his throat. And you're like, wait, what? And yeah, just bleeding. What's happening? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, he's bleeding out. He's he's going down, and it cuts to that close up of the Ram Man, as they call him. In big horns and like, but human shoulders and covered, you know, naked. Completely naked, but holding a gun. Like right. it's just weird to see a to see an animal holding a gun. Yeah. It's an amazing shot. 
Well, this no is this is where if you want to hear my theological theory of this movie, please go. Um, of course, that's what you're here, Ben. Because um, obviously, I I've, I've discounted the idea that this has any Jesus uh, allusions. I think this is a story about the lost sheep. That's the parable that I think we're being told here, because you have the mother right who wants to reclaim her lost sheep, and so she literally steals one. <laughs> Then you have the father or the ram man, right, who wants to reclaim his daughter, the lost sheep. And so there is this idea that, you know, the man who has 100 sheep and loses one will do anything he can to get back the one that's lost. Right. So even the murder of Ingvar, which is tragic because I think he's probably the only likable human, it's restoration. Right. Um, it's a reclaiming of the lost yeah. sheep um, and, and, and setting things right. Um, in a way that, of course, I mean, violence is horrible. Uh, but, you know, in, in the natural world, you know, I was going to say it's an animal. That's yeah. what you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he just took out the other male <laughs> so he could reclaim his daughter. Um, uh -huh. So, yeah. you know, it's it's to me, it's the lost sheep parable. I, I love also just, yeah, he shoots him in the throat, but it, there's, it's such a choice because it's not a rifle. It's some kind of air gun thing yeah i could never figure out what that was it's some kind of advanced pellet gun it's like i'm going to shoot you with your own weapon that by the way you killed my wife with my mate with and i'm going to do it in the throat so it's going to take a really long time so you can choke on your own blood the last thing you see is going to be me walking away with what's mine and when yeah. you die you're going to know exactly why you're dying because you know what you did you know what you did this whole time and that it was wrong and now it's right goodbye see you later yeah and there's this sense that i mean he's kind of been in the background the whole time Right. Like you, you have these moments where, you know, it's, you know, it's him after you see him. Like that's when you go back and say, oh, that's what that was. Right. But um, mm -hmm. so chances are he's seen all of this happen. Like mm -hmm. he witnessed the murder of, of the sheep. I don't I, I, I don't know what the relationship he has with sheep is and I don't want to get into it. But, you know, so right. he sees Mates. that his mate. Yeah. <laughs> so he sees that um, and, and sees all this other stuff happening. So he's kind of watching Ada right in the background the whole time. I mean, she runs into him at one point, you know? So yeah, it's very much like he, it's not that he hasn't been there and he suddenly shows up. It's that he's been there the whole time and decides to make himself known. And, I, and my initial thought was, why didn't he kill Maria instead to make things, uh, you know, more of an eye for an eye kind of thing instead of going after him. But I think it was intentional mm -hmm. because he wanted her to suffer. You know, and that was, you know, literally the last, I swear it was 10 minutes of the film, but her crying and realizing what happened, Maria, realizing what happened and it stays on her. The camera stays on her for such a long time. Concur. Um, and also, let's just realize what happened. She's, the thing is, that you're going to be alone now in this world that's already isolated that you've built I've taken everything from you, but you're never going to know what happened. You're yeah. never going to know. Yeah. This will always haunt you. Well, yeah. You've lost two daughters. You lost two daughters. You're a horrible mother. And also I'm thinking in a human way, there's nobody around. This guy's brother who you've had an affair with just left. You're the only person here. I think you might be going to jail, honey. I think you might be going to prison. I think you might get blamed for this. 
the, the other thing is that you were saying this shot goes on forever. What I noticed that this final shot of her, all of a sudden you can't see the gorgeous no agent background anymore. It's just all fog. It's nothing. She's in purgatory now. This is you've got yeah. nothing. You've got nothing. You've got no one. This is your life forever. Yeah. yeah, she kind of made me it kind of made me think of there's a there's you know, there's a there's a a pretty harsh scriptural passage in the Old Testament, I believe, that talks about the land sort of being um filled with the weeping of women who have lost their children, right? So the mm-hmm. idea is that the worst punishment you could inflict upon a society was to destroy their children, right? And and they yeah. and the mothers would wail so loudly, right, that it would fill the land. So I mean, this is the worst punishment she could possibly have been given um, right. in this moment where she is cut off from the world, right? She's cut off from her family. Uh, and 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 like you said, I mean, it's almost like she she disappears into this, you know, like thing right like she's just nowhere anymore right so i mean and so yeah i mean i think she got the worst of it well as well she should have (laughs) this was all her this was all on her i hate to blame the woman for everything but (laughs) she's the driving force and i also want to say like having this discussion with you guys i wasn't sure if i liked this movie and now i think i do I like it more and more every time because I'm, I'm finding more and more like I like to see the things that, that are going on in, in the unspoken yeah. and imagining what's going on when their camera's not rolling. Like these arguments, like I'm just, I'm sure that scene with Peter and Ingvar about Ada was not just happiness. What, what the fuck is it? It's happiness. Yeah. Who's happiness? Right. Yours or hers? No, this is insane. Yeah. Nobody questioned what the fuck this thing is. <laughs> Nobody questioned how this happened. Who fucked the sheep that make this happen? <laughs> right, Nobody's questioning right. this. But they, you know, they must be. They must be. But we're just not getting privy to because it's ugly and it's just going to take away from her idyllic, idyllic holy family imagery of herself. I mean, when Ada is born, my first thought was, oh, Ingvar, what have you done? <laughs> it's got your eyes and your hooves. <laughs> like what weirdness. Look right? at his fate. All of a sudden, I'm Laura Louise and Rosemary's baby. Look at his fate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a challenging movie, and I that's why it's here. And it was one of those ones I was struggling about. Should I talk about it until Oso mentioned ages ago that he had seen it and he loved it? I'm like, that's the that's the cue that we should talk about this. And um, it seems like a perfect choice for Easter in the wrong way possible because it's, it's not an Easter movie at all. No, nope. but you might think it is. A lot of the reviews that I read totally bought into the biblical thing and just went all the way down the river. And that she's a miss that it's oh, this a redemptive story, a poignant mother's story. Fuck her, they nothing poignant no. about her. Yeah, I, was, I mean, when I was, I read some reviews this morning too, and they were all about the sort of Christian elements of the movie. And I'm like, either, either number one, you've never actually read the Bible. So you don't really know what's, what you're talking about. Right. So, because there's no way you can make those connections, right. If you really know the stuff. Um, or the second thing is you're just kind of playing on faith, um, to get people interested. Right. Um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the faith elements are very minor. Um, when you, yeah. the symbolism that could be called Christian or, or, or whatever is so small, right? Like, I, I mean, I finally settled on the story of the lost sheep. I mean, I, it has nothing to do with, you know, all the big stuff people are talking about. And I just don't see it. I get that too. And also, this is just occurring to me. I'm like, if you're making it my own mythology, if this is mythology, then okay, you, this, do you want to say mythology? This would be some sort of a God. Let's say this is a Norse God. Like a Greek mythology is filled with this. Greek mythology is filled with the gods coming down and mating with humans and animals and things like that. It's filled with it. 
So you got this, you got now you got this creature that's half God, half human. Okay, work with me for a moment here because a thought is forming in my head for the first time, and I'm not sure how to put it into words yet. So this might get messy, but we're talking about how the religious aspect tries to be there, but it's just not. Maybe we're just being presumptive. Maybe we're just being presumptive that the religion that's being present presented is Judeo-Christian. What if it's not? What if it's something older? Because really all of this religious stuff comes at the beginning, mostly during this Christmas scene. And as we all know, a lot of the Christmas traditions and the Christmas imagery that we get is taken from older pagan religions. So when we talk about Greek mythology and Roman mythology, once upon a time, that was a religion. So maybe this is religious imagery, but it's just not Christianity. It's something older, something that we've forgotten, but yet we can still somewhat recognize because there are echoes of it that still survive in our modern traditions. That's why it's coming across as best for us because it's not ours. <laughs> it's whatever that belongs to this particular God, this ancient God that we know nothing about because it's been so good at hiding itself. It's time has come and gone. And now it just wants to be and live in the mountains and be left alone. Ram-headed gods are not unusual, right? Well, and the name Ada, which I looked up in German, means nobility. And in Hebrew, it means adornment. It, it's an interesting play on the name too, because, you know, she is kind of an adornment to them, right? Oh, and you know what, Patrick, something else struck me. You did get your shirtless guy. It just happened to be a goat person. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was very happy with that. My yeah. the goat he, was hot. Put, he was well put together. <laughs> As well you should. If you're, if you're out there yodeling around the mountains all day, then naked. you better well be. Uh, naked. Naked, 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 naked. That's some, that's some thick skin. <laughs> to my point, animal people don't have to wear clothes. No, they don't. They don't. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up too, and I, I, I hated to go down this route because I find queering movies like this to be incredibly lazy. But at a certain point, I'm like, I really identify with Ada as a gay man who didn't get along with his family. There were times where I felt like you just picked me up out of a barn or something. Didn't like, I don't belong to you. I'm not, like, you don't know what to do with me. And I, I, I took, it took 40 years to finally say, you know what? You're not my family. I'm going to go off with this big, hairy, <laughs> naked goat man because they get me. Yeah. And I'm making right. a joke, no, but I'm not. I mean, that's that's what this is about, right, is finding your people. Looking, looking in the mirror going, am I, am I really part of you? Like, I don't have anything in common with you. And what you're doing to me is detrimental. You're making me eat spaghetti? <laughs> the carbs. Uh, it, it seemed to me that, like, that was the first time when Peter offered her grass it was like that was the first time she'd ever done that. You know, mm. it seemed like, oh, wait, maybe this is what this seems right. And she's just sort of nibbling and then. Yeah. Which is amazing. Like you, you've never been allowed to graze. You haven't done anything that your biology says that you should do, that your instincts tell you you should do. They've taken all of that away from you. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. They're with you, honey. They tried. They tried to do that to me. They failed. They tried to make me like them yeah. and they failed. Which is usually the case. Am I angry? A little bit. <laughs> do I bear bitterness and resentment? A no, little I think bit. That, I mean, it's a valid yeah. thing, right? I mean, we spend, I was just talking about this the other day. Like we spend our whole lives trying to fit into something that isn't us. And so we either become great deceivers, right? And we sort of pretend to be something mm -hmm. or we recognize that we don't belong here. Um, you know, and so we're, we're kind of visitors 
right in in another land and so i think you know i think all gay kids have this feeling of you know almost otherworldliness right like how why am i here right why this place why these people right who don't who clearly don't get it don't get what's happening with me right and so you know ada has that kind of same way of kind of walking through life that i think we all adopt right which is you know just go with it like let's just get through this and it's not until some you know this very intense moment that she decides you know that she's taken to where she belongs yeah i also love to this this is this is this just got me messy i also love the ram ma'am real dad let her say goodbye to fake dad like even though he's done like they were earlier on the earlier on the movie she's like oh ada, ada come and lie with me while i fall asleep and that's yeah. the last image of her lying with him as he goes to sleep forever oh gosh mm. that was the first time that i feel like i saw her really showing emotion and you could actually see like the tears welling up in her eyes which is like i did not expect that and i didn't i did not anticipate feeling such like loss from a lamb you know like it it was that was a hard scene yeah Mm yeah 100%. But I'm glad they left it in there. It was that he didn't just take her, that they did to get to see by that. I loved this one. Like he was a bad man, but I understand that he loved you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you loved him. So have your moment. And now we got to go, honey. You know, the, the Ram, the Ram dad, right. Doesn't, doesn't just snatch her. He takes her by the hand, right? Like it's a very gentle, um, you know, you got to come with me now, right? This is, this is what needs to happen now. Um, and so, you know, there is a loving element to that too. I mean, yeah. it's a shame homicide had to happen to get there, but you know, I mean, he, it's not a snatching, right? It's not a, not a taking back, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a, it's a guiding back. No, you're not supposed to be here. Come on. Yeah. Sorry. I had to, had to kill this guy. We got you, baby. And I'll, yeah. Oh, well. I think we've done lamb. I think we've yeah, done I'm lamb. Yeah, I'm glad we did lamb. Yeah. Without mint sauce. I was waiting for somebody to make the mint sauce joke. And I'm glad it was you and not me. <laughs> no lamb chop jokes either. So. No. no. No Sherry Lewis jokes, nothing. Because then this would be the show that right. never well, ends. Well, I was going to say it's because we are so sophisticated, but then Patrick did that. So. <laughs> but then there's me. Then there's me. Then there's me. Then there's me, the ham. Like, oh, this movie's about lamb. I'm the ham. If they made this movie, it would be called Ham. So I was hoping we were going to do a double feature of this and then Bad Sheep. Black, Black Sheep? Black Sheep. Black Sheep. Black Sheep. Oh, Black Sheep. No, I haven't seen that. Okay. Now that you've had this one, Black Sheep is a palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Monster Sheep. Yeah. It's the Violence of the Lambs. It's on my watch, it's <laughs> it's on my watch list. Get ready for the Violence of the Lambs. It yeah. It's, it's really good. It is very, very charming. It's very charming. Um, okay. Um, I guess we've done that. Uh, so, Osho, you're not just a fabulous person who comes on my show and talks about movies. You also make fabulous beard products as well. Can you please tell me about your Osho scruffy line? <laughs> I beard do. Uh, I make a beard. Uh, it started out as a beard, beard care, beard balm. Uh, but we really built it into kind of a whole line. So I've got the beard balms and beard butters, mustache wax, beard and body bars. So soap for your beard and your body. Um, we're kind of branching out into a lot of things. So uh, we have stuff to take care of your whole body. 
and it's all natural. All of it has ingredients that you can actually pronounce, and there's a very limited number of ingredients. We love that. Where can people find out more about that if they would like to buy some of your sexy beard product, beard body products? If they wanted to do something like that, they could go to ososcruffy.com, which is just my name, ososcruffy.com. Fabulous. Pastor Ben, tell us about your small but mighty Actually, I'm going to plug something this time, uh, which I don't usually do. But uh, a a while ago, I opened a spiritual direction practice. So I am a a working spiritual director. What does that mean for those of us who are heathens? Well, uh, that means that uh, I'm a, a spiritual director is kind of a companion who walks beside you as you explore faith and sort of ask questions and 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 sort of try to engage faith more deliberately. Um, I obviously have a specialty for folks in the LGBTQ community um, who have lost their faith. Um, and so I work with a lot of folks uh, who are experiencing trauma. So, um, and I, price is flexible. So if you want to see a spiritual director and you don't want to pay a lot, I will work with you. Um, but you can find me on Instagram and threads and us pastor fabulous. Um, and I'm on Facebook and all that good stuff, which I'm sure Patrick will click link me to stuff. Yeah. And the name does not lie. As we can all <laughs> see it right. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking about this crazy, crazy movie. Um, I love you both. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay fabulous. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Right. That was, as I always say, fabulous. Thank you once again to my very special guest, Pastor Ben Fitzgerald Fye and Oh So Scruffy. If you need some help feeling fabulous on the inside and you want more information on Pastor Ben's spiritual coaching service, you can find him at Pastor Fabulous on Instagram. And if you want to look and feel fabulous on the outside, check out Oh So Scruffy's beard and body products at OhSoScruffy.com. Those links are down there in the show notes. So my final thoughts on the movie Lamb. One of my favorite things about the movie Lamb that we didn't talk about in the session was the advertising for the movie Lamb. And yes, I know the director didn't like the American advertising. He was very upset by it. But one of the things I thought was great was that the tagline, the word mother and the word nature on top of each other, except the word nature is upside down. So they're acting like opposing forces. They're, normally, when you hear mother and nature, oh, they're, they, these, these are forces that work in tandem. They go together. They're, they work in sync and harmony. But in this movie, they don't. They're opposing forces. And in, in their own way, both of these forces have been corrupted in the movie. Because that's not a real mother, and that's not something that should have happened in nature. One of the things I liked most about Lamb is how open things are for interpretation. How they don't explain things for you. How they don't tell you how to feel how they leave out important parts of conversations, and how you connect the dots is up to you. So it's up to you, the audience member, to create part of the story. And maybe that's the story the filmmakers intended. Maybe it's not, but that doesn't matter because art is in the eye of the beholder. It's subjective. It's about what the movie means to you. I mentioned during the course of the discussion that I read some wild interpretations of this movie. There's one in particular that I'm thinking of. Now, in our session... The three of us today really turned on Maria. We did not like her at all. We think she's being punished. However, I saw several discussions of the film where they said the exact opposite, that this is a 
she's finally being free. She's being liberated from all these other things. And it's a, it's a story of redemption, not punishment. It's a dark but hopeful ending for Maria. Personally, I couldn't disagree more, and I have no idea how the hell you got there, but I love that because none of us are right and none of us are wrong, and that's okay. And I know that can drive people insane. It's that high art aesthetic. It's not about what the painter intended. It's about what it makes you feel inside. And here's something I didn't get to talk about in the session. I started to, and then the topic changed, and that's okay because I'd rather it's just us. Because this is something I realized I've never said out loud. Because this movie this movie tapped into a fear that I don't even like to acknowledge that I have. And it was triggered by that scene where, as a family, Peter and Inkvar and Maria are watching the football game. And that segues into the dance party. And Ada doesn't understand the game. And she doesn't understand the music. She doesn't know what they want from her when they tell her to dance. And she flees the scene. That's me at every family function since I was about nine years old. Anything that involved dancing. I don't dance in front of my family. And I'd forgotten this happened until I watched this. When I was nine years old at my brother's wedding, I had a cousin tell me that I danced like a faggot. This was not a cousin my age or anything like that. No, no, no. This is a cousin that's in like 30s or 40s, whatever, older person. And I realized that whole table had been laughing at me. I didn't really know what the word meant, but I knew it was bad. But I parked my ass down on my chair and I didn't move for the rest of the night. That's me at every family wedding since. Because I don't want to give anybody any fuel. I already know I'm the black sheep. <laughs> no pun intended. I don't need to throw more gas on the fire. I don't need you to be picking on me anymore. I remember when I went, those of you who've been listening for a long time, when I went to my nephew's wedding with Bradford, I was still with Bradford, when we had to drive all the way out to wherever, Notre Dame, um, I cannot physically bring myself to the dance floor, especially not with dancing with another man in a family function that had already been called faggot when I was nine years old. I can't imagine what they've been saying. I just couldn't do it. And part of it, it's not just the fear. It's also just not wanting to give. And I'm like, no, I don't want to give you the satisfaction of having a thing. See, see, of sitting there and saying, see, see, we were right about him. Look what a faggot he is out on the dance floor. I don't want to give them fuel. I don't know. I don't want to give it any. I don't even know how to say this. That's how I don't. I've never said this out loud before. So the words don't know how to come out of my mouth. But that movie triggered that in me. And I really fell for Ada. That's when I realized, oh, this movie's queer. as fuck. She's me. I'm the little faggot in the family trying to figure out who are you people? What do you want from me? Why don't I fit in? Why do I not want to fit in? Because I'm not one of you. I'm waiting for my big, hairy, naked goat daddy to take me away. So I'll never have to see any of you again. And I'm still waiting for that. Anyway, what did Lamb mean to you? If you took this ride along with me and you have different views, I want to hear what they are because that's what this kind of thing is all about. It's about the discussion afterwards. It's about sharing the ideas and it's about sharing the stories. So if you want to share, please do. Let me know on social media. I'm on Facebook at Scream Queens and on threads and Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And of course, that's Queens with a Z. Now, I know this episode was a lot. This movie is a lot. This movie is a risk. This movie is polarizing. If you took this ride with me and it got you thinking about the movie in a different way, if we opened your eyes to a different way to view this movie or movies in general, or if you just had fun listening to us, it would be lovely if you said thank you. And you can do that by going to bit.ly slash SQ thank you. That's Scream Queens thank you. And you can leave a tip. If you enjoyed this episode of Scream Queens or any number of episodes of Scream Queens, if you've been listening for a long time but you don't want to be a Patreon subscriber, if you don't want that kind of monthly commitment, 
Now you can say thank you once with a one-time donation. If you do, I'll say thank you back. You'll get links to unlock a couple of episodes that are previously behind the paywall at Patreon. And for the next two weeks, my thank yous for your thank you will be the unedited 45-minute interview session with queer filmmaker Christopher Wesley Moore from Homos on Haunted Hill. Plus, I'll unlock the episode of It Came From The 70s where I talk about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow with Trey Dean. I will give them to you as my return gift. A thank you to your thank you, if that makes any sense. Anyway, bit.ly slash SQ thank you. So next time, where are we going? Well, I'll tell you, kids, we're going to the Canadian wilderness to talk about the film What Keeps You Alive. This is a tasty bit of Canadian queer survivalist horror. Two lovely young women celebrating their one-year anniversary of marriage. Aw, they go to a cabin in the woods for a romantic weekend and things do not go as planned and it turns into a battle for survival. If you have not seen this film, I highly suggest you go in cold. Do not watch the trailers. Try not to read anything about it because I find they're all really spoiler heavy. Trust me when I say you don't want to know the surprises this movie has for you. If you can, try to go in cold. The movie is available on Shudder and Tubi and anywhere you rent movies. So play along at home and let's, I'll see you next time in the creepy Canadian woods for What Keeps You Alive. So I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Scream Queens. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. It is always a delight to talk to you. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. And never, ever, ever forget the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Stay safe, babies. Stay healthy and stay fabulous. <laughs>